Welcome to Tim Pod Radio. The Trinity Prophecy by Marissa Kinzel with illustrations from Melissa McManus. To Electra, my eternal cheerleader, Myrrh my backbone and lifelong support, my mother, who I miss every day, and you. Chapter 1. The Snowy Mountain Prince Nestled high at the peak of a snowy mountain, there was a town of winter called Vitur. Within it lived its jovial citizens, the Viturians, who wrapped their fair blue skin in bundles of hand-woven clothes to keep the deepest bite of the cold at bay. They were overseen by a small castle court, headed by King Vasilius Viervatuli and his queen, Helsa, both of whom were known for their kind demeanour and fair ruling. The Viervatuli royal family bore a special power, the power over the whims of the ice, They could conjure snow from nothing, build ice sculptures from the smallest drop of water. Every year, as a celebration of their history and hope for prosperity, the king and queen hosted a grand festival of the ice. Many commissioned special clothing, workers closed away their livestock stables, and all made haste to the central courtyard to view the spectacle. Led by the king, he cast out ice sculpture after ice sculpture, making them dance and sway, and the villagers danced with them. At the end of every festival, the king and queen would combine their abilities to create a snow-flurry show, displayed like fireworks. Puffs of ice and snow exploded, scattering gently amongst the crowd. The queen would swirl the snow around, forming it into various shapes. Sometimes, if she was feeling cheeky, she would create shapes like the villagers themselves. One year, when the festival's snow flurries had calmed to a delicate sway, the king and queen gathered the crowd's attention. Everyone, Queen Helsa announced, King Vasilius and I have an announcement to make. Our family will be growing by one member, the king called out proudly, and the crowd erupted in cheers, taking piles of fallen snow and throwing them in the air. The royal family was beloved, and the promise of an heir was the promise of a bright future. In the spring, a prince was born. He had lavender white hair like his father, and wide violet eyes like his mother. King Vasilius and Queen Helsa raised him with care, training him to hone his gift of the ice from a young age, while allowing him to explore Vitur and befriend the townspeople. The village and the castle were symbiotic, and the villagers raised the young prince like he was one of their own. His name was Neros. Ten years later, the young prince bounded down the steps of the castle, sprinting through the courtyard, past the castle guards, and into the town. Your Majesty, care to help me tend to my sheep today? 
a stable woman asked as the youthful prince ran down the street. Not today, Veshna. Father is allowing me to explore outside the tour today. I'm going to see lots of Endra, he called, waving as he raced by. Veshna chuckled. All right, all right, you'll be safe out there. I will, he laughed, racing towards the edge of the mountain. Waving his hand, an ice board materialized at its edge. He leapt on it, sliding down the mountain with breakneck speed. There were other hills and valleys around Vitur, and the prince had practiced especially for this moment. He dodged the rocks and trees with ease, adrenaline pumping as he threw his hands in the air, cheering. Once he reached the bottom, he skidded into the grass and slowed to a stop. He stepped off the board, and with a flick of his wrist it dissipated into snowflakes. The landscape of the Endron Plains was vast and full of colour, an expanse of grass and greenery and flora and fauna as far as the eye could see. A blue-white haze protected a wonderland of waterfalls, and far up in the distance, Neros could see a thick cloud of smoke circling over a great volcano. Directly to his left... There lay a dense forest that emanated an orange glow of autumn. Behind one of the trees at the opening, Neros spotted a figure. She was small, like him, and she had long hair that looked like green leaves woven together. Her skin blended with the bark of the tree she hid behind, and if not for her decorated dress and bright yellow eyes, Neros would not have noticed her. You're blue, she said. The prince smiled. I'm not blue, I'm Neros. The girl frowned, concealing herself further behind the tree. No, I mean your skin. It's blue. And, and you flew down from that mountaintop all of a sudden. Where does it lead? Neros looked fondly back up the mountain, though his town was shrouded by a white haze of falling snow. At the top of the mountain is my home, Vitur. My father is the king, and today he said I'm old enough to explore Endra all on my own. He smiled, placing his hands on his hips. The girl didn't look so impressed. Endra is peaceful. Your king was smart to let you explore now, but you're dumb for leaving home. What? Why? Because you have no means of protection. The girl came out from behind the tree, gesturing to Neros with open palms. What on your person would protect you if I attacked you? As if to prove her point, the girl stretched out one arm, summoning long, limber vines from the tree's canopy. She sent them to wrap around Neros, constricting his body and pinning his arms to his sides as they slipped and circled his torso. The prince cried out in surprise as he was lifted off the ground and brought closer to the girl. See, you're defenseless, she proclaimed, grinning in defiance. How do you know that I won't kill you right here, right now? Y you won't. Nero smiled, though strained. You don't know that? She crossed her arms, glaring up at him. The vines tightened their grip, and Neros grunted at the feeling of thorns pressing into his back and sides. I can, but you won't, Neros grunted, still smiling. I can see it in your eyes. You're a nice person. The girl squinted at him. Then she threw her hands up in the air, and the vines receded, and Neros fell to the ground. He groaned, brushing himself off as he stood. Then he smiled at the girl again and extended his hand. Let's try again. I'm Prince Neros. What's your name? She gaped at him. I just attacked you. Why are you offering me your hand like this? Neros's brows drew together, but his hand remained extended. Because I want to be your friend, of course. Do people not greet each other like this where you come from? This time the girl tossed her head back and whined. Of course they do. Oh, you're impossible. She walked up to him and firmly shook his hand. Her skin felt like the bark it matched, but her grasp was still soft like his own skin. I'm Princess Anthea of Arborea. That's what this place is. She gestured behind her to the dense forest. And I'm an Arborean. Skin of tree, hair of leaves. Neat, huh? 
Nero's beamed. That's amazing. There really are all kinds of people outside the tour. The prince peered around her, attempting to see what lay beyond the thick outer layer of forest. Anthea blocked his view, even as he tried to dodge and look around her. Why are you so nosy? she asked, sticking her face close to his and sneering. I, I wouldn't say nosy, maybe instead curious? Nero suggested, offering a weak smile. Anthea sighed. Fine. Since you have no sense of danger, I'll show you where I live. She grabbed the prince by his wrist and led him into the forest. It felt like a maze, and Nero's hardly watched where he was going in favour of looking up at the canopy. It was breathtaking. A wide array of reds, oranges and yellows splattered across every tree. The light reflected a dozen colours as it shone against the leaves, like a kaleidoscope of nature. In time, the maze opened to reveal an expansive system of tree houses, all surrounding a larger tree with a trunk as thick as the base of the Vitur castle at home. Nero's blinked, almost overwhelmed by it all. His jaw hung open, awe clear in his eyes. Wow, he breathed. It's beautiful. Welcome to Arborea, Prince Neros, the most scenic place in all of Endra. Anthea gestured grandly to the forest, and Neros took in its inhabitants. Arboreans with skin of wood like the princesses and hair of varying colours walked and chatted idly amongst each other throughout the forest. Neros had never felt so close to the centre of all nature in his life as he did in this moment. There were shorter trees, trees with willowing hair, red trees, and even a few that resembled the pines he was so familiar with at home. So, what makes you princess? Do you have a king or a queen as your parents? No, Anthea replied, slowly leading Nero's to the central tree. I was chosen to inherit my magic powers by the goddess Silver, who watches over this land. The prince's eyes widened. You guys are that connected to the heavenly gods in Andalus. Yeah, duh. Silver provides everything for us here. The princess spun around, and Neros admired how her dress flowed freely as she turned. But the great ancient tree is the one that gives us Arboreans the life force we need to survive. That's amazing. So you live in a tree ecosystem almost? Pretty much. And no two Arboreans are alike. Everyone has small differences in their bark makeups and hair type. Anthea glowed with excitement, and it rubbed off on the prince. She tugged his hand. Come on, I have to introduce you to my bestest friend of all time. As the princess tugged Neros around the great ancient tree, he was able to observe more of the landscape. Behind the tree was a large spring decorated with elaborated bushes of flowers and draping vines. Warm light filtered in through the trees, casting patterns in shadow across the water. On one side of the spring there was a girl with rich brown skin and short pink petals blooming around her to frame her face in a bob. Her eyes were a soft pink and they lit up immediately upon noticing Anthea's arrival. Anthea! Rosea! the princess waved, jumping across scattered stones to cross the spring and tackle her friend in a hug. An outsider is here! Anthea pointed to Nero's. He's blue! Rosea stared at him, instantly wary. He certainly is. My name is Nero's, he said, carefully making his way across the spring to extend a hand to the girl. It's nice to meet you. Rosea studied him for a moment then offered a gentle smile, taking his hand and giving it a small shake. I'm sure you heard Anthea say, but my name is Rosea. I'm a cherry blossom arborean, so I look a bit different from the princess. You're very beautiful, Neros complimented, smiling broadly. His earnest words brought a blush to her cheeks. Princess Anthea smiled in turn, whirling around behind Rosea and cupping her face between her hands. Rosea is the most beautiful, 
She's the only Arborian of her kind. She's a modern legend, you know. And we're the same age. So naturally, she's my best friend in the whole forest. Anthea beamed, proudness emanating from her being. Neros was captured by the princess's charm and found himself listening to both girls' stories until nearly sundown. When he returned, his father sent him quickly to bed, but not before making him promise to tell him all about what he learned in the morning over breakfast. Over the next seven years, Prince Neros became engrossed with the history of Endra, poring over the history of the land, trying to learn as much as he could about the world he lived in. He made frequent visits to Arborea, where he and Princess Anthea would share their knowledge and search endlessly for more information. Luckily, the history of Endra was recorded dutifully up until around the year 500, where darkness seemed to begin shrouding the land. Historical text dropped off after that, both in Vitur and in Arborea. Arborean texts resumed with a valiant retelling of a story of heroes who saved the world and rose to heaven. Vitur's history picked up far after, with the building of the castle and the honouring of the first king and queen, the first in recorded history with mystified ice power. These gaps intrigued Prince Neros, while Anthea believed that an important event was purposefully erased from history. On a particularly cold winter day in Vitur, the pair sat on the floor of Neros's room, open books sprawled on every available surface. Neros wrote furiously in a notebook. Anthea scratched her head. Suddenly she stood up, pointing at a large book open in front of her, with an oak cover and a strange, symbol-based text written within it. There! Neros jumped out of his skin, pencil line trailing off the page he was writing on. He sighed, beginning to erase the excess. There's what, Anthe? She collapsed back to all fours, hands resting open-palmed on the book she'd been poring over. This book! This is written in ancient Arborean, and I'm rusty on the details, but there's something new in here we haven't discovered yet. Really? Well, what is it? This book talks about a prophecy. At this, his brow furrowed. A prophecy? He scratched his head with the pencil, temporarily displacing the circlet that rested atop his head. He'd grown into it since he was a kid, when it hung low and pressed into his ears uncomfortably. He was grateful now that it rested above, though at times it was frustrating to recenter. Neros took his mind off the thought, returning his attention to the princess. Yeah, a prophecy, she continued, turning the page in her book and turning it to display to Neros. There were images accompanied with the words on this spread, showing three figures with weapons shooting magic up at a dark, clouded figure. They say a dark power rose up from the underworld, Umbros. It is a vast sea of the dead that lies below us. In peaceful times, this darkness rose up suddenly, and I guess some people had to come and save the world with magic. Anthea's brow furrowed. I can't really translate the last half of it, but a prophecy means it was fated to happen, right? Neros nodded, peering closely at the book. The script was beautiful, no doubt, but wholly foreign to him. He frowned. Yeah, in storybooks, aren't prophecies cyclical? There's no telling if something like this could happen again. I don't think it will, Anthea pointed out, turning the page to show three victorious figures with a bright yellow light emanating from behind them. This page says something about elimination of evil force. After that, it skips ahead to the creation of Arborea, the planting of the great tree and infusing it with its special power. 
Then we get the origin of the Arboreans, which we've been over, where the great tree releases seeds that grow into saplings, and eventually us. Once every couple hundred years, a special sapling is sent out, imbued with magic chosen by silver, and right now that's me! There have been princes and princesses, but you know I'm the best there's been. The prince laughed. Without a shadow of a doubt, Anthea, I doubt your predecessors were half as witty and charming as you. Anthea whacked Neros on the shoulder, rolling her eyes. Neros, please don't make me blush. We have a prophecy mystery to crack. I'm afraid that's where you'll have to stop for today, you two. A voice bellowed from the doorway. Neros and Anthea looked to find the source, seeing King Vasilius standing strong. His presence was enormous, but he had a gentle smile and a soothing voice. He was the picture of the kind of man anyone could trust. An elaborate crown of ice glittered in the early evening light. King Vasilius! Anthea jumped up, closing the book and tucking it under her arm. Is it that time already? Yes, it is. The sun will fall past the horizon soon, and your people need you, Anthea. I promise you two can continue studying soon. All right, all right, if you insist. The princess bounded toward the door, ducking under the king's arm and whirling around to wave at Neros. You can't keep me away forever, you know. I'll be back. The king's laugh bellowed, echoing throughout the hall. Your grace, I know, I know. Safe travels back to Arborea, young princess. You bet. See you later, Neros. You too, your majesty. Once the princess had long gone out of earshot, the king turned back to his son. It's about time for our daily training, son. If you would, could you meet me in the training hall? Nero smiled, nodding. Of course, father, let me clean up here first. King Vasilius turned and walked out of the room, closing the door gently behind him. As Nero gathered up the books, his mind drifted back to what Anthea discovered regarding the gaps in history and the prophecy. Skipping around parts. Neros knew there was more to it than a mere mistranslation. For all Anthea claimed she was rusty, she had the power of the goddess Silver within her, so he trusted her summaries completely. Was there a specific reason parts of history seemed to be rewritten? He placed the books back on his shelf, pensive. He was grateful the castle court and his parents shared any resource they could in regard to his recent dive into the history of Endra. His father attributed his intense interest to his meeting with Anthea. That princess got you invested in the lives of others, son, and for that I am grateful. But tread carefully, he had said. You may not always like the answers you find. Neros made his way down to the training hall, not entirely sure he was in the mood to train today. He had agreed, of course, as he had done every time previous. It was just as important for him to train his body as it was his mind. After his initial meeting with Anthea, future trips down into the world of Endra had not gone quite so pleasantly. His father warned him against such troubles, small monsters or the occasional bandit, and had taken to teaching him how to wield a weapon and fine-tune his ice magic. It was a careful balance of muscle and mental energy, as fighting with a spear and casting a spell felt entirely different and took entirely different tolls on the boy's body. The door to the training hall was tall and wide, a deep blue with silver studs and large handles. The doors were heavy. Neros always had to use both hands to push one open, and the hall within stretched for what felt like miles. 
Along the walls were various practice weapons, and enough training dummies to build up an entire army. Neros had always wondered if war was involved in Vitur's past, but Vasilius refused to say. If it was in the history books, it was written over, or carefully removed. The prince took a deep breath, and heaved open the door. Inside the king stood, with commanding posture, practice blade already in hand. Neros was glad he decided to wear loose clothes, as his summon to this room hadn't come with enough warning for him to change. He grabbed a spear off the far wall. His father, at times, had chastised his affinity for spears, saying he needed to broaden his horizons more if he were to become a prince worthy of inheritance to the throne. Neros understood, though he felt that in peaceful times such as these, he doubted he would need to learn more than his father was already graciously teaching him. Today, the king announced, dropping into a battle stance, you will learn how to impart your magic energy into a weapon. Neros's eyebrows shot up. Really? Isn't that... Father, isn't that dangerous? Of course it is, but without risk, there is no hope for reward. King Vesilius approached. He, unlike Neros, had managed to change into a loose tunic and pants, or Neros idly wondered if he was wearing that under all his kingly shirts and armour, and pointed the tip of the practice blade at Neros. The point began to glow, ice magic pooling and gathering there. Then the king cast his aim aside, shouting, Release! And the magic shot from the tip of the blade, crashing into one of the training dummies and freezing it solid. You see how it works. Neros had been too amazed by the spectacle to pay close attention. Ah, uh, perhaps another demonstration? The king smiled. It requires intense mental focus. You must imagine your magic energy coursing through your veins, ready to be released. The key is, instead of releasing it out of your fingertips directly, you connect with the wavelength of the weapon to channel the energy into it instead. Here. The king reached out for the spear Neros gripped, and he handed it to his father. The king disappeared around a rack of spears and returned with a long navy case, plopping it in front of his son. There are weapons designed to make this process easier. Open this, Neros. Neros obliged. He clicked the case open, revealing a long, shimmering spear with a diamond-shaped head. The shaft was pale blue in color, seeming translucent, as flecks of unmelting ice were embedded with the blue-gray wood used to build its shape. The diamond head was encased in winding, sharp tendrils, looking menacing without seeming malicious. Inside the head was a small orb of magic essence, floating aimlessly within its confines, emitting gentle blue light. This spear is called Vatnis, passed down through the royal family since Vitor's founding, Vasilius explained. It was mine. But now, Neros, you're old enough to wield it yourself. It's beautiful. Thank you, father. The prince looked up, feeling doubtful. A royal weapon in his own hands. It felt like a miracle and a mistake all at once. But I don't understand. You said this makes it easier to channel magic. Indeed, the king continued. If you focus the energy into your hands, it will pass into the spear and gather into this orb. He gestured along the shaft of the spear, pointing at the orb of magic, dancing around the tip. It will grow in strength until you cast a spell, where then it will all release at once. The king stood, disappearing again behind a stack of practice weapons. 
Neros was left to attempt the technique for himself. He closed his eyes, focusing his energy into the weapon before him. Peeking an eye open to ensure it was working, it was, thank goodness, he strengthened the energy. The power of ice flowed through his veins, cold enough to chill any regular person, but to Neros it was comforting, like home. The orb grew larger and larger inside of its diamond casing, threatening to break out. The prince thrust the spear forward, aiming for a row of training dummies. Release! The magic blasted out of his spear, recoil sending Nero stumbling backward and landing on his rear with a grunt. Very good, King Vesilius encouraged, re-emerging from the stack of weapons with a fresh sword, one that looked more well-equipped for the technique the young prince had just learned. If you keep practicing, you will surely be able to master that with effortless ease. You'll even be able to build structures and sculptures with ice using this technique. In fact... At this upcoming festival, I'd like you to do the honor of showcasing the final sculpture. Nero's eyebrows shot up. Really? To sculpt the ice statue at the end of the festival was an incredible honor typically reserved for the king alone. The performance contained most of the theatrics that the villagers looked forward to every year. The statue was crafted with ice, then secured with special magic to ensure it didn't melt for the rest of the year. Choosing what to sculpt, how to create it, where to throw in flashier moves, it was all an intricate process. If it fell to the prince, it would be quite a lot of pressure. Yes, my son, you are more than ready, Vesilius complimented, ruffling Neros's hair. Suddenly... He grew serious, squatting back into his battle stance. Now, come at me. We need to hone your combat and magic skills if we're to start you on the right track to building with ice. Neros lunged forward, spear meeting his father's skill with the blade, and they parried for some time. The prince used his smaller size and speed as leverage over his father, but every time his father's skill won out. Neros had a wild, passionate way of fighting, and Vasilius made no secret that it would turn into a weakness if he wasn't careful. The prince tried to take this to heart, but as Vasilius hurled ice wave after ice wave at him, it became harder and harder to remain calm and focused. One particularly harsh blow had Nero's thrown backwards, spear fallen out of his hands, a vicious shiver coursing down his spine. He stood, slowly, bracing his hands on his knees and breathing heavily. That's enough. You have learned a lot today, Neros. Leave your spear here. We will continue this later. Neros only nodded his acknowledgement, and his father bid his farewell for the evening. Neros offered a weak smile and half-wave as he left. God, father is tough as usual in his training. The prince appreciated and respected everything his father did for him, but the process was arduous. Ice magic, though a comfort to cast, was unforgiving if it hit you, and Nero still found himself desperately trying to catch his breath, shaking off the bitter chill that racked through his bones. He wiped the sweat from his brow. He knew he'd need a bath. To avoid one would mean certain sickness, especially with the hit he'd suffered. But he would be fine. If he were to become a prince his father could be proud of, he would have to be. The next festival of the ice came all too quickly for the young prince, and he felt he hardly had enough time to properly hone his skills. He slaved away during the smallest hours of night, until the sunlight began to peek over the top of the mountain and cast a soft yellow glow over the snow. His mother often came outside to join him, 
teaching him all her favourite show-stopping moves of years past. A flourish of the arm here, a twirl there, a toss of his staff to the air, caught with whimsy and grace. Their sessions were the opposite of that with Neros's father. Queen Helsa often had tea brought out for them to enjoy in the quiet moments during sunrise, and though Neros felt exhausted, he was always happy and at peace, and sometimes his mother would allow him to slip away for an afternoon nap. Neros stood in his bedroom, staring uneasily at himself in the mirror. He donned new garments today, made especially for the ceremony, a blue tailcoat on top of a respectable violet turtleneck with sharp pants and shoes to complete the look. In this he looked more princely than he ever had. The gentle, sheer details of his tailcoat paid a tribute to his power of the element but also the roots he shared with the entire snowy town. He fiddled with his circlet, the bright purple gem in the middle glittering as he shifted it to be centred on his forehead. Nerves pricked at his insides. He fluffed his hair around it, unsure if he wanted to showcase his position so boldly today. His stomach twisted uncomfortably, and he took a few deep breaths to shove his anxieties away. Today is going to be fine. You'll impress them. They already like you. The only person you can disappoint is yourself, and perhaps father, but mostly yourself. Well, he didn't pride himself on pep talks. Neros? The prince started, whipping his head around to the door so quickly it displaced the crown he'd so carefully arranged. It was just his mother, who looked on with a gentle smile. Sorry, dear, I didn't mean to spook you. She chuckled behind her hand. It's all right, mother. Is it time already? Indeed it is. She stepped into the room fully walking up and readjusting his crown for him. Are you ready? Neros shifted his weight, nervously. As ready as I will ever be, mother. Queen Helsa rested her hands on her son's shoulders, smiling. You have worked so hard to prepare for today, Neros. You'll do a fantastic job, I know it. His mother's faith offered him at least some solace, so he could at least bring himself to nod at her words. He silently followed her down to the courtyard, where the townspeople had all gathered in their traditional ice festival garb. This year, some villagers had opted to make small banners out of twill to wave in the air while festivities took place. King Vesilius had a grandiose speech, as ever, and dispersed the town folk to partake in the usual activities. Vendors were located around the middle of the courtyard, offering sweets and savoury, delectable treats to enjoy. There was a large rink for children to skate around, not far from a pond used for an ice fishing contest. Gentle snow fell from the sky, punctuating the event with its silent grace. When it was time to reconvene, King Vasilius's voice boomed out toward the crowd. Neros stood beside him at the makeshift ice podium. Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of our fine winter town of Vitor, he started. It is time for a special surprise. Our finale will be presented to you this year by none other than my son, Prince Neros. The crowd erupted in cheers and hollers, proud and excited faces lighting up among excited and curious ones. All of it made Neros's adrenaline spike with nervous energy. He resisted the urge to fidget. The king urged him to begin, giving him a pat on the shoulder. Neros nodded, steeling himself. All right, let's do this. Spear in hand, he moved in front of the crowd. He focused energy into it, enough to last, but not too much. He couldn't have it explode in a burst of snowy fury after all. The tip 
glowed, and children in the front cooed with interest. The prince waved his weapon experimentally, and flecks of ice sprinkled down from the tip. Nero smiled. It's working. He guided the spear skyward, and shot off a flurry of ice and snow, watching as it burst outward in a firework-like fashion. It earned oohs and ahs from not only the children, but the adults, which only served to ease the prince's nerves even more. Then he began to dance. Nero's swirled around the circular courtyard, and the crowd parted to make room for him. The ice, drifting out of the staff, followed his movements, and he spun, moving his spear with him to make the flex whirl around his entire body. He cast manual spells from his hands, multiple tiny snowballs forming and cascading in large arcs over the crowd. Nero's continued moving his feet with grace and elegance known of the queen, but keeping a power behind his magic, reminiscent of the king. The crowd was enraptured, watching so intently that they even forgot to clap. Their amazement ran deep as Nero's continued his performance, methodically dancing around a particular section in the center of the courtyard, a section he'd planned as the final resting place for the statue of the festival. As he danced, he added to it inconspicuously, and from the ground up, he built his final piece, an ice sculpture that was a perfect rendition of his mother and father, locked in an embrace in perfect form for ballroom dancing. This went against tradition, wherein normally the structure served as an homage to the great ice goddess Isolde, she who gave life and meaning to this region of Endra after the fall of Ambros back hundreds of years ago. To release the finale's fireworks, Neros pointed his staff at the statue and fired off a powerful spell. It ricocheted off his parents' clasped hands and burst into a delicate shimmer of snow and ice, crackles of magic energy reflecting the light of the setting sun while the flakes drifted to the crowd below. The Viturians surged in cheers, banners waving wildly and children jumping up and down, the picture of sheer excitement. In all their years hosting the Honourable Festival, King Vesilius and Queen Helsa had never seen the villagers so thrilled about a finale performance. Neros's heart swelled as he looked out to a sea of admirers and proud supporters. His relief was practically tangible. Thus ends the Festival of the Ice. Thank you all for joining us, and we wish for your continued happiness and success. The king bellowed. He turned to Neros. Take a bow, son. So Neros did, bowing to his audience, whose cheers still had not ceased. Eventually, the villagers began to amble away, needing to tend to their own shops and livestock and homes. Neros locked his spear safely into a harness on his back, and went about helping the vendors take down and pack up their stalls. It would be tedious work without aid, and the prince was happy to oblige every year. The vendors respected his kindness, and usually sent him walking away with various trinkets and a few coins as thanks. This year was no different. Pouch heavy and stress lifted, Neros bounded up the steps to the castle. The moon hung high and full in the sky, and it was late enough that the castle staff had been dismissed for the evening. The blue hue of the castle walls felt peaceful to the young prince, especially after a long day at the festival. He moved easily through the halls, finding himself following the sound of his parents' voices, but walked past the throne room 
and headed up the stairs to his own quarters. Prince Nero stressed down for bed, nestled under the covers, and prepared himself for a long, fulfilling night's sleep. Just as he was about to drift off, a loud rumble roused him, coming from the direction of the throne room. His crown jittered on his bedside table. Nero shot up in bed. All the servants had gone home. What was happening? The castle rumbled again, and his gaze nervously flitted to the door. Mum. Dad. The prince was not the type to sit around. The very least he could do was see what happened. He grabbed his crown and set it atop his head as he stumbled out of bed to check on his parents. Before he could get out the door, the dim glow of his spear caught his eye. He grabbed it and ran. We hope you enjoyed this Tin Universe production. The Trinity Prophecy was written by Marissa Kinzeel. Our narrators are Journey Brown Saintel, Theo Holt Bailey, and Christian Martin. This audio adaptation was produced by Brian C. Williams and Marissa Kinzeel. The voice of Tin Universe is Stacey Taylor. For ebooks, webcomics, short films, and more, head over to tinuniverse.blogspot.com.